Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we begin a new series in the book of Genesis. The, the series is entitled Beginnings, Beginnings, and the title of our message this morning is God Overall. Now, this series is going to encapsulate chapters 1 through 11, and today we're going to just preach on one verse, Genesis 1-1, very easy verse to find. It is the first verse in your Bible, so turn to the very first page of your Bible, Genesis 1-1, God overall. You ready? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now you have to ask yourself, who wrote Genesis? When did he write Genesis? To whom did he write Genesis? First of all, God is the ultimate author of the Bible. These are God's words. But he inspired various authors then to write his words to us. So when did God inspire Moses to write Genesis? He did it about 3,400 years ago in 1400 BC. And to whom did Moses write Genesis? He wrote Genesis to God's people, Israel, who... 40 years earlier, had been delivered by God's hand out of exile and slavery in Egypt, and they had been taken through the desert, separating Egypt from Israel, and they had been wandering for 40 years. And as a matter of fact, imagine yourself now, amongst those 2 million people that were wandering in the desert, imagine you could be in your 20s, you could be in your 30s, you could be in your 40s. You could be in your 50s, maybe even in your 60s. You've been wandering for 40 years. For most of you, you don't even remember because you weren't born yet. Others of you were very small when God delivered your fathers from Egypt. Some of you were maybe in, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9. Maybe a few of us were 10, 11, 20. I'm 60. 40 years ago. But what do we all have in common? This, next slide. This is where we've been living for the last 40 years. Nice, huh? Looks looks just like a resort here in South Florida. That's been your home for 40 years. 40 long years. But there is a buzz in the camp. Because you've heard, you've heard from your dying parents who are now 85, 90 years old. They were 40 when you first left, but because of rebellion, because of doing their own thing, they, they, they were punished. They, they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. But they tell you, listen, we've heard that we're about to go in. We're right on the edge of the promised land. And there's this promise. For these last 40 years, you have heard it in your ears. You've heard the promise of God who delivered you from Pharaoh and the exile and slavery of Egypt. And there's this promise of another land. This next slide. That's what you hope to see. And go back to the previous slide. This is all you know right here. It's all you know. You've never seen anything other. You were born in the desert. You've been wandering in the desert. But there's some people that are giving you the vision of this, this next slide. 
There it is. There's the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses is now an old man and God has inspired him. And you hear that Moses has written this book, Genesis. And the question is, why write Genesis to the people of God right before they're about to enter into this promised land? And here's the reason why. Because these people need to know or remember three things, basically. Number one, they need to know and remember that their God is creator. Their God is creator, and he sustains all things. And this, their God has been the one, he's created all things, and he sustained them in the desert for 40 years. They need to be reminded of that. Number two... They need to be reminded who their God is. Actually, Moses wrote five books called the Pentateuch. Genesis is the first one. They need to be reminded who is God? How did he design this world? And how has the designer of this world determined that this world should exist? What are what is the instructions? How should we live? What does it look like to relate to this God and to follow him? That's the second thing. And then the third thing, they need to be reminded that their God is not only creator, but redeemer. For some of them, they never saw it. They weren't born yet. For others, they were little children. But they need to be reminded that their God is not only creator, he's their redeemer. They need to be reminded that he delivered them from, from slavery and exile in Egypt, and he's delivering them into the promised land. And they need to, to hear about him again. Because they're about to go into this land, they're going to have to fight for it. There's going to be armies that oppose them. There's going to be a big fight. But their Redeemer has promised them this land. So they needed to hear that 3,400 years ago. That's what God's people needed to hear. That's why Genesis was written. And hey, we're their descendants 3,400 years later. We too have been set free from the bondage of exile and slavery to Satan, sin, and death. We too have a promise while we're wandering through this desert land, while you're wandering through your little desert land. For you, it may be East Hialeah or Miramar or even Carl Gables. And you're saying, what are we doing here? It's been 40 years. I have the promise of of, of Christ. He's my redeemer, but but I'm kind of losing focus here. And we need to hear of a redeemer. We need to hear that our God is a creator, that my wanderings have not been random, that God has a purpose, that he sustains me, and one day he will lead me into the promised land. See, Genesis was written to God's people because God's people need to know that God is creator and controls all things and sustains all things. And that gives purpose to our lives. That, that God's people need to hear from God that God has certain ways that he's ordained his creation to function. And we need to understand them and find grace to follow God in that way. And God's people need to hear that God is our not only our creator, but our redeemer, our deliverer. That's why Genesis was written. And that's why we need to hear this book we need to read this book we need to understand this book because here is the main point of this book god is our creator and god is our redeemer god is our creator and god is our redeemer point one god our creator god our creator genesis reveals the triune god father 
Son and Holy Spirit. You understand? One God, three persons. Eternally God. Can't separate them. Eternally existent. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Genesis reveals the triune God in creation. And we see it elsewhere. We see it, well, the Apostle Paul, 1,400 years later, when he wrote the letter to the Colossians, said it this way, Colossians 1, 16 to 17. He's speaking of Christ. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, Jesus Christ... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God created it all, and God holds it all together so that my life has meaning because God created me. God's been with me during my wanderings in the desert, and God holds it all together. And God's will be done. And I need to hear that he even created all those dominions and those rulers and authorities that live in the the land, the promised land, that I have to face some of them my enemies. Yes, for his purpose, his glory and my good. He's over them. So when I'm about to face them, I need to remember, he's creator. He's creator. See, Genesis teaches us the great doctrine of, of creation. And trust me, brothers and sisters, that doctrine is, at right now, there's a war against that doctrine. On Saturday, large numbers of people, over 500 rallies all over this nation, basically were filled with people who do not believe what I'm about to tell you. They believe in naturalism, that everything just kind of popped up on its own, given enough time, given enough energy, given enough chance, boom, here it is. We believe the Bible, creationism. The Bible calls it creation out of nothing. There's a term for that, creation ex nihilo. God created out of nothing. And we find that certainly in Genesis, and we find it in Hebrews, Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand, by faith, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible. What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God created out of nothing. God created out of his word. There was nothing. God said, let there be, there was. Corey's going to preach that next week. He's going to go into detail on creation. I have verse 1 as the overview. <laughs> I, I have the, the joy to share with you why it's so important that just like God's people in 1400 BC needed to hear that God is creator, this didn't just pop up and we're wandering around in the desert like we're lost, you know, somewhere trying to find our way into the promised land. No, God is leading us through the desert. God created the desert. God created the promised land. God's in control. It came from his word and his word sustains it and us. And just a brief side note, while I am not a scientist, nor do I claim to be a scientist, You need to understand that there is a fight going on right now. And we're going to seek to equip you in that fight. But there's a fight between naturalism, everything just sort of popped out here on its own, and creationism. God himself created all things. And I want to tell you this. It's not science versus religion. It's not. 
They're both based on faith. They're both based on a paradigm, on a way you're going to approach the data, whether it's fossil data, whether it's uh, aging, uh, aging the rocks data, whatever data it might be. You're going to interpret that data based upon your, your thoughts going into it, your paradigm. The question is, which one requires more faith? Again, I am not a scientist So I can't do this, it's due process, but there is a movie out that does a great job. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to give you the website, but it's called Is Genesis History? Is Genesis History? I watched it, it's amazing. It's scientists who believe in creation, giving you all the facts. But let me just highlight something for you. When it comes to how much faith it takes to believe in evolution and to to believe in naturalism, that basically says... The origins of everything began through time, through chance, and through impersonal force, whether that's a piece of matter or an atom or whatever. And then suddenly, given enough time, billions of years, I think some would date, some in that camp would date the earth over four point something billion years old. Given enough time, you kind of stir up this primordial soup, boom, and out pops everything you see around here. Perfectly ordered. Think about that for a moment with me. Let's just be logical, Okay. And of course, if you come in to finding a rock or finding a fossil or, or in analyzing the oceans with that thinking, you're going to make all this data fit that. But think about it for just a moment. DNA. DNA is a molecule that carries the genetic instructions in the growth, development, functioning, and reproduction of all known organisms. I mean, that's the basic. It's like a double helix. looks like a ladder that's twisting. That simple DNA is more complex and more able to adapt and change and and produce what you see in all of creation than the most advanced microchip in Silicon Valley to date. By millions of times more complex, millions of times more data. And I forget all the statistics, but the, the data in one little strand of DNA would dwarf what we know today. One. One. And we have millions of those in every one of our cells. When a cell reproduces, it reproduces that DNA. Boom, you have the next cell. Boom, you have the next cell. And then you have a cell that that says, this is a hand, this is a finger, this is a knee. If, If you're a fish, this is a fin. These are scales. These are eyes. Super complex. Super, super detailed. Now, here's the deal, guys. People that know would say this. The chances that you would get something that complex, that amazing, to somehow mutate over billions of years just through time and energy and space, the chances for that, like our one in a million, one in a billion, it's one in A, and the numbers of zeros after that are over 200. Now, I don't know, right? I think, I think a billion zeros is uh, six zeros, or a million has six zeros, a billion has nine zeros. It's one in A over 200 zeros. That's like winning the lottery every day for the next 50 years. You. What are the chances of that? Now, you can't absolutely say there's no chance. Come on. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. So you got to think that through. So you got to have faith. You got to have faith. You've got to have faith in something. And, and just moving, moving the camera out just a bit. Look, we're all seated in this auditorium, right? 
I'm fairly confident that every one of us would be sitting here thinking, somebody, there was an architect around here who designed this. All right, Cassie? Pretty sure. Whether they did a great job or not, that's between you and them. I'm not an architect. I suspect you would have your thoughts about it. More utilitarian than beautiful. There was probably a construction manager. There's probably a construction company that built this. Why would we say that? Because there's order. It works. We're all in here. Do I know that architect? No. Will I ever meet that architect? Probably not. Nor the construction manager. But here's the evidence. It's it's not just going to pop out on its own. Someone had to think it through and put it together. And by the way, on that DNA piece, uh, Gary Beecham, who's a gentleman that was a big tall guy here on the guitar, who's a geneticist at the University of Miami, Dr. Gary Beecham, uh, he and his wife, uh, Ashley, ha- are devoting their lives to work on the problems that occur when that little DNA strand has one little thing wrong. In fact, I was looking at some of his work online. <laughs> you ready? He is working on the common variants that are associated with late-onset Alzheimer's disease, which is what took my father-in-law's life. He wrote an article on identifying consensus disease pathways in Parkinson's disease. I mean, I could go on and on. So so this thing is so intricate that when one goes off, that's, that's a disease or a severely handicapped child. Just one. Just one. But... You know, and we're sad about that. But think of the millions that work right. What are the chances that all those could come together by sheer chance? Got to have faith if you're going to believe that. See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. At its root, the problem is not science versus religion. It's the problem is, do I want to believe that there's a God? And actually, the Bible tells us that the issue isn't even so much science. But the issue is the heart. Look at Romans 1, 19 to 20. On the screen. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Now catch this. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. They are without excuse. See, in, in, in Romans 1.18, it says, the problem is that man suppresses the truth. The problem is that man wants to worship the creation rather than the creator. Here's the deal. The problem is, let me just boil it right down to you. We don't want to have a God over us. We want to do our own thing. I, I, I don't want to hear God's creation ordinances. I don't, want to, I don't want to read the instruction book. I want to put together my dishwasher on my own. If you've ever seen me do that, you know how disastrous that is. I don't need a map, honey. I don't need GPS. I'll get us there, sweetheart. Forty years later, we're still driving around East Hialeah. Same chudo, man, we pass. From the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve said, No, I know you exist, but I don't want to acknowledge you. So if people acknowledge a creator, guess what? Then they're beholden to that creator. They're accountable to that creator. They have to obey that creator. So it's just more convenient to say, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Sexuality, I'll determine my sexuality. I'm not born with it. Marriage, I'll marry whomever I want to marry. You can't tell me who to marry. It goes on and on and on. The issue is faith. The issue is faith. 
And as we study Genesis, we're going to be studying God's instruction manual, what are called creation ordinances, why we believe the way we believe about marriage, which is a hot topic today. Why Christians stand humbly and gently and say, that is not a marriage that I can bless. Because it's against God's creation ordinance. There is a God who created us. We talk about relationships. We talk about sexuality. Because of the creation ordinances God gave us. So God is giving these ordinances to his people who are about to exit the desert, go into the promised land to establish his nation, doing it his way. And he's still doing that today with us as his people, imaging him. Why? Because we are all tempted to go our own way. And so God is our creator, amen, but God is also our redeemer, point two. See, Genesis reveals God, our redeemer. They needed a redeemer. We need a redeemer. They needed to know their redeemer. We need to know our redeemer. Because they were going into the promised land. We are going into the promised land. They were going through a desert. We need to know our redeemer when we are hot and tired and grumbling, passing the same bush in the same desert, the same time. We need to know that there's some order here, that, there, that God is in control and that he's going to deliver us from this desert of this world that is so difficult into the promised land of, of, of heaven, of his kingdom. We're there, we have the promise of it, but we're fighting the enemies. The scorpions are around, the snakes are around. The enemies are in the hills and he's my redeemer. He's my deliverer. He delivered me from Pharaoh. He delivered me from sin and Satan and death. Pharaoh represents that. And he delivered me out of the slavery of Egypt, which is the world. And if you're saved, and I pray you are, then he's delivered you from that. But then he delivers us into the promised land. And oftentimes he takes us through the deserts because this world is like a desert. It could be barren and hard and depressing and discouraging. But Jesus is our redeemer and he's with us and he promises us to take us into that promised land filled with milk and honey. God's land. Listen, and that redeemer is Jesus Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. When you read the Pentateuch, when you read these first five books that Moses wrote in 1400 BC to the people of God as they were entering in the promised land, you will see that Moses at one point says, listen, I'm not the one. I simply point, there is one coming after me who's greater than I. And those people needed to have that hope because they understood that they were God's people going to God's land and from one of them would come the ultimate redeemer and savior. They didn't know who, they didn't know when, they had no idea that it was Jesus Christ. But we do. At least I hope you do. If you don't, you're not a Christian. I pray you'd repent and believe. But it's Jesus. And so therefore, we're going to preach Genesis as God calls us to preach Genesis for the reason he wrote Genesis through Moses to his people then and now. We're going to talk about creation. We're going to talk about how it happened. We're going to talk about God's will when it comes to all these issues, these creation ordinances. But what we're going to do the most is we are going to preach Jesus from Genesis. You, you, You understand that. That the preacher's task is to preach Christ from the Bible. That is the purpose of Christian preaching. If that's new to you, then let me invite you to think about that. 
See, this is what Paul said in the New Testament in Colossians 1, 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, him being Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. God was revealing Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer to his people. He was doing it in a way that was somewhat uh, shadowy back then. And as the Old Testament develops a story of God's redemption, redeeming his people back to the garden. The Bible begins in a garden, the Bible ends in a garden, and, the, and it takes us from when man, Adam and Eve, were thrown out of the garden for their rebellion, and God's redemption of man, so that at the end in Revelation, there's a garden, there's a new heavens, there's a new earth. And the story of the Bible is a story of redemption, and Jesus is at the center of that story. So today, the goal is that we mature and be like Christ, and the only way that can happen is if we proclaim Jesus Christ. If a preacher does not preach Christ from the Old Testament, then that preacher is not preaching Christ as he was preached in the New Testament. Say that again. If a preacher is not preaching Christ from the Old Testament, then that preacher is not preaching Christ the way he was preached in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the way Christ was preached was from the Old Testament. And Jesus is the one that began that. On the screen, Luke 24, 27, after he rose from the dead, as he was speaking to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Listen to what Luke says. Speaking of Christ, and beginning with Moses, Genesis, and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's what Jesus did. Remember back Colossians 1, if you could flip back there, Tyler. Colossians 1, Paul wrote 16 and 17. That's what Paul's doing here. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, Christ, all things were created. Paul is preaching Jesus from Moses, from Genesis. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, for he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul's saying this is the one that God was speaking of in Genesis 1.1. This is the one that Moses was speaking of in Deuteronomy. This is the creator, the triune God who holds it all together. It is Christ. You've got to remember, none of these guys had the New Testament when they were preaching Jesus Back then in the first century, they were busy writing the New Testament. So whenever it says in the New Testament, they taught Christ from the scriptures, it's from the Old Testament. And when it says from Moses, it begins with Genesis all the way through to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. So we're going to preach Jesus from Genesis. Why? So that we can mature in Christ. The goal is that we would be those people, those people that look like Christ, those people that image God, for that is God's will at the very beginning. You're going to find that out as we preach through Genesis. God's will was that we would image him, that we would rule underneath his authority. We would exercise dominion over the earth. We would populate it and steward it and care for it. And we would image God. Sin broke that. Sin messed that up. And the Bible has so many tragic stories. But flowing through all those tragic stories is the one wonderful redeeming story. A Savior's coming. 
A people have been called. A land needs to be populated. He's going to come from those people. And you're reading the Bible and you say, is he going to come? Look, Israel is obeying. Israel's disobeying. The kingdom is at David. Look how great they are. But then they're sinning. The temple is destroyed. Oh my, 500 BC. How can that be? How can the Savior come? Oh, but it's rebuilt. Jesus is born. A poor baby. What? God, what are you doing? We need this savior. We need to kick all the bad guys out. He needs to be tough. Oh, he was tough. Just in a different way. That's what we're going to preach. And you've got to start here. Listen, you, you, if you don't preach Christ from the Old Testament, then you cannot understand Christ in the New Testament. Only when you understand God's promise in the Old Testament, and it takes some, some academic perspiration. You're going to have to dig, guys. Only when you understand God's promise in the Old Testament can you understand Christ, who is the fulfillment of that promise in the New Testament. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Jesus is the answer. What's the question? Jesus is the, the promised one. What's the promise? All right, man, let's dig in and find out because it's a great promise. It's a great story. And Jesus is a great savior. Amen? Praise God. So here's my appeal to you. Nothing I'm quoting now from this movie is Genesis history. Nothing in the world makes sense except in the light of Genesis. Nothing in the world makes sense except in the light of Genesis. There is a real God who really created everything out of nothing by his word. There was real Adam and Eve and they really did sin and they were really thrown out of the garden and they really need a savior. And there is a real nation that was called by God and really delivered from Egypt and really got into the promised land. And there was a real man born, Jesus of Nazareth. He really is the redeemer that we need to know. And he really is building us, Palm Vista, into his people to understand his creation ordinance, to understand how to live, but then to give us the power to do so. This is the appeal. 